Trust me, I'm like a smart person. From The Conversation, this is Trust Me, I'm an Expert, a podcast where we ask the academic experts to surprise, delight and inform us with their research. I'm Sananda Cray. I'm off NASA. Now, what's going to be the battery 10 years from now? It's still going to be lithium-ion for most applications. The voice you heard at the top there was British-born scientist M. Stanley Whittingham of Binghamton University, who this year was one of three scientists who won the Nobel Prize for Chemistry for their work developing lithium-ion batteries. Now, maybe you know exactly what a lithium-ion battery is, but even if you don't, chances are you're carrying one right now. They're the batteries used to power mobile phones, laptops, even electric cars. When it comes to energy storage, they're vastly more powerful than conventional batteries, and you can recharge them many more times. Their widespread use is driving global demand for the metal lithium. Demand that opposition leader Anthony Albanese this week said Australia should do more to meet. The University of Queensland's Mark Blaskovich who trained in chemistry and penned an article for us recently about Whittingham's selection for the Chemistry Nobel Prize, sat down with the award winner this week to chat about what the future of battery science may hold and how we might address some of the environmental and fire risks around lithium-ion batteries. He began by asking M. Stanley Whittingham how lithium batteries differ from conventional lead-acid batteries, like the kind you'd probably find in your car. So lithium battery stores maybe roughly five times as much energy per weight or per volume than, say, the common lead-acid battery. So it stores much more energy. You could never you know, use a lead-acid battery on your iPhone or anything like that. And I guess one of the other advantages, particularly when it's used in mobile phones, um, is that you can recharge it a lot of times and it doesn't seem to lose as much um, energy or the ability to be recharged as other types of batteries. During your invention of the battery, was there a eureka moment when you ran out of the room saying, look at what I've got? Not really, and it probably wouldn't have happened. Us British (laughs) claim to have some reserves, so we wouldn't do that. But I think we, I joined Exxon in, I think September of 72. Within a month or two, we realized we had something important there. So we're all excited about it. So I was sent to New York City to meet with the committee of the Exxon board to explain. I think they call those elevator pitches now. So I had five or ten minutes with them, explained what we're doing. And Exxon wanted to be an energy company, not just an oil company. So they are sufficiently excited. They said, no, we'll invest more money for an engineering group and then a manufacturing group. And they looked at research like drilling oil wells, maybe 10% workout. And if they work out, they work out big. So they treated research those days exactly the same way. So that involvement of of Exxon in the development of the battery um, is a bit ironic considering they're an oil company. And my understanding is that they gave up on the research after a while or farmed it off to someone else. Is that true? I wouldn't say they gave up on the research as such. We did build an engineering team. They built a manufacturing facility. So they manufactured lithium batteries for a while. Um, We developed a rather large one, which went to an electric vehicle show in 1977 in Chicago. So they're building one. They bought a company that made electric motors for cars. So they were serious about doing it. But then came the day, I think, oil prices had gone down again. And they said, these markets are not $100 million a year. Why are we in it? No. Exxon's a big corporation. These are not really um, large enough to whet our appetite. 
And they're really about 20 years ahead of their time. So, you know, they perceived oil was going to peak, maybe 2000, it didn't peak. And now, I think today, everyone's worried about we need cleaner energy. So people are going back to things like batteries, solar cells, fuel cells, and Exxon was in all those areas in the 1970s. For the Australian readers, my understanding that Exxon built the solar cells that were on the railroad switches all the way from east coast to the west coast of Australia. Can you tell us a bit about your background? You know, how did you get interested in science? Were you always interested in science? Um, and following on to that, how did you start getting involved in lithium battery development? I went to a school in Stamford, Lincolnshire, England, and I had a great chemistry teacher there and a great physics teacher there. Squibbs Bowman was my physics teacher and Major Lamb was my chemistry teacher. They basically hooked me into science. And in England, you basically do science and math for your last two or three years in high school full-time. And then when you go to college in England, you choose basically one subject. So I went to Oxford and basically studied in chemistry for four years. And the big plus of Oxford is the fourth year you do full-time research. So you get involved in something that's exciting. And I have to explain to people, I was in England at Oxford, but it's in fact the United States Air Force that paid for my bachelor's research degree because that was Sputnik area. And so the U.S. was very worried about catching up on science. They were worried about what happened to atoms and molecules when they hit nose cones. So they supported that work. So lithium metal itself is highly flammable, and lithium batteries have been known to cause a number of fires. Um, In your research, have you had any good fires in your lab during your developments? Um, We've had no fires related to lithium itself. Lithium doesn't catch fire very easily. It will sit there in the lab, and if you watch it, it will go black because it prefers to react with the nitrogen in the air rather than the oxygen, and that kind of protects it. Well, the issue is if anything goes wrong, it's more the organic solvents in the electrolyte. They're the ones that burn. And once that starts, then the lithium will catch fire too. So it's the other parts of the cell which are the real um, troublemakers, if I can put it that way. And so how do we make um, lithium batteries safer? Well, I've been telling the U.S. government through DOE They need to put more money into electrolytes, get rid of maybe some of the organic solvents there, put maybe some more inorganic materials there, things that will not burn. Any any device that stores energy is potentially dangerous. You're never going to make a perfectly self-safe system. But if you get rid of some of the bad actors in the system, you can make it much safer. So getting back to the environmental impact of of lithium batteries, where do all the resources to make batteries come from? So, for example, you you mentioned cobalt has some um, issues with the sources, where it comes from. What about lithium itself? One needs to go back when I got in this business. All the lithium in the United States came from North Carolina, from Hard Rock. So if you look on the Internet, all the lithium companies in the U.S. still have their headquarters in North Carolina. That got too expensive to get the lithium out, and obviously there's a lot of energy involved. Then they found all these lithium deposits up on top of mountains in South America. Much easier to get those out using standard brine-type evaporation procedures. So there's lots of lithium there. I gather it uses lots of water, which is an issue down there. And clearly there's lots of um, waste material as well, so there are some issues there. But no, we use this brine separation. It's in San Francisco Bay and I think many other parts of the world to actually get salts out. 
So it's cleaner there, it's not where a lot of people are living, so it's not an issue in that sense. So the opposition leader of Australia um, just a few days ago um, said Australia should become a major lithium exporter. Is there time to do that, or have we missed the boat? You know, is, is there going to be a, another advance in battery technology that will make lithium obsolete within by the time we're able to develop an, an export industry? Um, I'm often asked, now, what's going to be the battery 10 years from now? It's still going to be lithium-ion for most applications. It stores the most energy per unit weight, per unit volume. Issue with um, South America, it takes about three years to ramp up a new facility. And about 24 months of that is just the evaporation process, so there's no means of changing that. And there are lithium deposits in Australia, hard rock deposits, so those could come on stream much faster. As any government would like, you'd like to have control over your own resources. So ideally, if you could get all the metals that you want for battery in Australia, it would make life much easier. In terms of, again, getting back to the environmental impact, how does lithium battery recycling work? Do you, are you able to recover the lithium from it? Do you know? Um, I think the issue in lithium batteries recycling right now, there's not enough lithium bat- batteries to make an, you know, an economic um, feasible business. It's only a matter of time before policy dictates they will be recycled, you know, just like lead-acid batteries in the U.S., if you don't recycle them, it's going to cost you 25 to $50 when you buy a new one if you don't give them back an old one. So I think it's only a matter of time before lithium batteries go the same route. Right now, my understanding is most um, smartphones just get tossed in the garbage. So there's probably garbage dumps that have a richer content of cobalt than some of the mines they come from. So I think that is a government policy decision that could easily say you will recycle these. Um, what about looking further into the future? Do you see any technologies now which have the potential to supplant lithium batteries? I mean, fuel cell technology or or other types of right. conventional batteries? I think it will depend very much on the application. So for any small devices, you know, all you call them electronic toys or whatever you want to call them, lithium-ion sto- stores by far the most energy per unit volume. So I don't think anything else is going to replace that. People talked about building um, little fuel cells for their phones. That basically got killed by the FAA and the, the international equivalent because they ran on methanol. And they said, you're not going to take a bottle of methanol on the plane with you. So I th- didn't think, don't think people realized that there were issues besides the technology. Um, people talk about hydrogen fuel cell cars. That's, I think, unlikely to happen because certainly in the U.S. you're talking millions of dollars for every refueling station. So that's a difficult infrastructure. You've got to bring in the hydrogen in trucks, put it in tanks, compress it, and that's very expensive. It's not like electricity which you can sell, sell down a, a wire or gasoline you can send down a pipe, pump. So it's going to be difficult for fleet operations. Hydrogen fuel cells may be the answer because you can have a charging station at, say, a large bus depot or forklift truck, trucks in the, you know, a wholesale distribution center. I don't see these fuel cells really going into yours and my car, and I get the impression Toyota's cooled off on fuel cells of late. What are the next advances in the development of lithium batteries? What can we do to make them better, or what are you working on to make them better? 
as I was saying, I have two large projects. One is to really understand all the fundamental reactions, the good ones and the bad ones, so we can attain really the ultimate um, energy density for these materials. Right now, the practical energy density is only about 25% of that of the theoretical. We think it should be able to get to at least 50%. So we're cutting out all the dead weight, looking at making the ions move faster, the electrons move faster. So that's the fundamental aspect. Then the more applied aspect, we're, say we're part of this battery 500 project, where we're going to push the um, energy density from 250 to 500 watt hours per kilogram. So those are essentially using well-known materials of today, but modifying them slightly. And the big effort is to take the cobalt out. So cobalt is expensive and there's big issues with child labor in the Congo. So basically you're, you're looking at trying to pack more energy into the, the, the battery than, than already has with the, the technologies and get rid of some of the environmental side effects of, of lithium batteries. Yes, that's correct. So we're, we're going to push the energy density up, at the same time push the cost down, and ideally make them safer at the same time. And if we can make the batteries last longer, then there's much less environmental impact because clearly there is some environmental impact in making the batteries. If we make them last twice as long, then that costs the environmental impact down by 50%. I understand you're in Sydney uh, to help advise a company that's working on batteries. Can you tell us a little about that? So I'm on the board of Magnus Energy Technologies. and Magnus has a graphite mine in Africa, which we feel has a much purer graphite than normal graphite. So most of the graphite used in batteries today has to be treated with hydrofluoric acid. There's really only one place in the world that does that, and that's China. And um, so they have the mind, they also want to get into the actual battery making business. You only make so much money selling the ores. So they are working with um, the Queensland government to potentially build a gigafactory in Townsville, Queensland. In terms of, of research in Australia, I'm not sure how aware you are of the, the research situation there. Do you know of other um, efforts in Australia in, in advancing battery technology? There are several rather advanced efforts in Australia. About five years ago, I was invited to be one of the external advisors for all the CSIRO energy programs in Perth, Sydney, Melbourne, and Newcastle. So there are large efforts within CS, CSIRO. There's large efforts in the Melbourne area looking at polymeric electrolytes and there's some testing done in Newcastle. There's a lady up in um, Queensland. So there's pretty large effort in Australia and the, the world's largest battery meeting will be coming to, to Sydney in 2022. So it's in Berlin next year, then it will be right here in Sydney. And it wouldn't be coming here unless there's a high level of activity. Well, let's finish off with getting back to the Nobel Prize. You know, where were you when you got the call, and what time was it? <laughs> so it turns out I was at a big battery meet, meeting in Ulm, Germany. I'd stepped out of the meeting. I'd given my plenary lecture that morning. I'd stepped out, and I got away from the organizer of the meeting, saying, someone's trying to get you. They've called three times. Just stay here for a moment. She called back and then handed me her phone and it was the Nobel Committee, two of the committee members, talked to me from Sweden, and it was about 11.15 in the morning in Germany, 
and they said don't say anything for the next 30 minutes until we publicly announce it so that was an exciting time and there was a meeting session going on so they kept it quiet until noon when it was publicly announced in in that meeting and did you have any inkling beforehand that you might be up for consideration we'd had inklings for i don't know five or six years we've been favorites i think in 2015 certainly john good and i were on the reuters hot list for getting it that year so binghamton university and university of texas had put plans in process that year the next year and the following year then i think nothing at all was done this year because it's not going to happen and so it was really in the end a total surprise for everybody so it's it's only been a couple of weeks since the announcement how has it changed your life or or has it and do you think it will I would say I haven't had a minute of my own time since then, so it's been one group after another. And I don't think I realise it's not a one-day affair. It's like, so I've been busy playing that, and I've got lots of excited grandchildren and children who said, we're going even if our parents aren't going. The Royal Swedish Academy of Sciences has today decided to award the 2019 Nobel Prize in Chemistry jointly to John B. Goodenough, M. Stanley Whittingham and Akira Yoshino for the development of lithium-ion batteries für die Entwicklung von Lithium-Ionen-Akkumulatoren pour le développement des batteries lithium-ion. Trust Me, I'm an Expert is a podcast from The Conversation. I'm Sananda Cray. Special thanks today to Mark Blaskovich for taking the time to travel all the way from Brisbane to Sydney to interview Stanley Whittingham, and to Thea Blaskovich for recording and audio production assistance. Our theme beats are by Uncle Ho from Elephant Tracks. And you can find full credits and sign up for our daily newsletter all on our website at theconversation.com. Chat to you soon. <laughs>